Good to see you guys. If you stood that whole time, you are a strong person. I also stood the whole time, and I thought to myself, I haven't stood this long uh, before or in a while. Um, well, my name is Lance Williams. I'm the lead pastor here at The Grove. It is my joy to welcome you. Um, although we welcomed you some uh, minutes ago, I want to welcome you again. Uh, what a journey we've been on through Advent. If you've never done Advent, if that's not been a part of your story, um, truly it is an opportunity for us to center our lives around the life of Jesus because it's the Christian calendar. It's the new year start, which started a few weeks back. Um, to recap our journey, we've lit, we've lit four candles, now five, uh, signifying these four traditional themes throughout our Advent journey. One being hope, the second one being peace, the third being joy, the fourth being love. And then tonight, as we finally lit the white candle in the middle, which is signifies the Christ candle, that the Word truly has dwelt among us. And the theme that we're putting on the night is glory. If you didn't see all those five things in all of those songs that we just sang and all the stories in the scripture that we just read, I would encourage you to go back and read back through uh, the Christmas story on truly what God has come to bring his people. So as we start tonight, I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite Christmas story? What is your favorite Christmas story. There are a lot of stories that are told this time of year. As a matter of fact, this week I was sitting at Blockhouse and um, I was sitting at a local coffee shop. And as I was there, there was a, a young mom with their two young boys and she was reading a book to them. And it was, I think, something along the line I have right here Snowmen at Christmas. In other words, how is it? that snowmen celebrate Christmas. And I'm going to tell you what, those boys were dialed in. They had their hot chocolate. They were ready to go. And she, it was literally a page turner for them. And they were, they were dialed in to every page. What's going to happen next? I don't know what your favorite story is or what it was when you were a child, but mine, some of my favorite memories on Christmas Eve were when my dad would gather us all around. And it was like a true, like, Clark W. Griswold Christmas when we would just kind of come around my dad and he would, he would, he would really read for us, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." You know that story. My kids have no idea what that story is. They are totally deprived of that book. They have no idea. Uh, but if your narrative was a little bit like mine growing up, perhaps you read that story. We now read a different story because there's something greater that's come. Uh, there truly is something greater that has come than what that was. I remember feeling special when we would read Twas the Night Before Christmas. I remember feeling um, special because there was someone going to visit that night that was going to give me everything that I'd hoped for, everything that I'd put on a list, everything that I'd wished for. This was the night that all I had to do was go to sleep. And yet that was the most difficult thing, right, to go and do. But it was that night, and as crazy as the typical Christmas stories are, I have grown more fond of the familiar story. The story with the angels, the story with the virgin, the story with Joseph and Mary and the wise men, with the shepherds. It's that story that we rehearse usually at home on Christmas Eve in my family these days, because although it is familiar, I would say it is far more glorious than a man in a red suit, far more magical than a sled bursting forth through the sky, and far more meaningful than getting anything that I would ever want. Instead, this is the night where we got exactly what we need. 
Jesus has come for his people. Aaron said in the beginning, this is the glorious Christmas story. It is the story of glory. And tonight, if you read with us, if you followed along with us and didn't just think about how your knees were tired, you read the entire Christmas story as told by Matthew and Luke. And as with any good Christmas story, right, it rings familiar. But this story, with this human baby, was no ordinary Stories, No ordinary birth, and certainly something to behold. Our Advent theme this year has been, Come behold the wondrous mystery. Just listen to the first verse. Come behold the wondrous mystery of the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing and in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Now, this is no ordinary story of some sentimental love that you find on a card or in a precious moment. Instead, this is the story that started long ago, the story of love that started long ago. And you might be saying, when did this start? Well, we read it, right? In the beginning was the Word. Well, when was the beginning? Yeah, yeah, back then. In eternity past, before there was anything, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that same Word we read in John 1.14 became flesh and dwelt among us. Tonight, I just want to focus on that one verse, verse 14, so that we can have a good understanding of why this story is a story of glory. Why it is so wonderful, why it is so, uh, so, so uh, inviting for all of us. This is what the Bible says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Most people would say this is the most significant event in all of history when God himself became human. We like to say that God put on flesh like it's some sort of a robe, but instead, he actually isn't God con carne, if you like your chili con carne. It is not, or queso con carne. It is not con carne, it is in carne. He is in the flesh. Incarnation. That's where we get this word. It's the incarnation that he has become something that he once was not. And what did he become? He became you. He became a frail, fragile human. And not just any human. This was a human that was a baby. Like he could have come as a man. He could have easily, wouldn't it be more miraculous if he just showed up as a, as a full-grown man? It would have made some sense, right? No, he didn't choose to do that. He came as a fragile child dependent upon his own creation. Now, you've heard this before a hundred times, and you might be thinking, yeah, 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 we get it, but don't rush past this truth. You might be thinking, like, what's the big deal? And I would invite you to read back in verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 of John, where he says that verse 3 says that everything was made through him. All things were made through this word. This summer... You beautiful people sent me and my family on a sabbatical of eight weeks. 
and we traveled um, a little bit over the, the summer. We went to, actually I went to every time zone there was in these uh, good old fashioned United States. I was in the east, the central, the mountain, and the west. But there was a time when we went to the west, we went to California, and we had a great time in California. Uh, we went to a place called Yosemite National Park. And I want you to just get your mind around what I saw at Yosemite. My favorite moment of my eight weeks alone, I have on video. I'm not gonna show that with you, share that with you right now, but I do have it on video. And it was at the base of what they know or what has been known as El Capitan, or what they call El Cap. Anybody been to Yosemite? Everybody should raise your hand. There's like four or five of us. You've been to Yosemite? Riggs, you been there? You sure? All right, well, you raise your hand, man. I'm just letting you into the story. Here it is. All right, so look, so in Yosemite, there's this meadow where we ate lunch one day. And you're eating lunch and you're looking up at this beautiful picture. Not that one, although that'd be great. Look, that's El Capitan. There's a great um, documentary on Disney Plus called Free Solo of a guy that climbed this thing with no ropes. I don't know his name, I don't much care, but that's crazy town, okay? This is El Cap. And when you're sitting at the base, this is a picture that I took, you can see up and you're looking up 3,300 feet and you're going, my goodness, this is amazing. And you know what I know is going on right now? You're looking at this picture and you're going, cool, not real amazing to me. I wasn't there. To which I go, I think you're right. But let me see if I can show you a different perspective of this same uh, uh, mountain face. It's granite, right? So this is the second one. Ooh. All right. This is another picture that we took. This is from Taft Point that we hiked up. This is looking down on El Cap. El Cap's way over there. I took that picture from that little meadow down there. You see the meadow in the middle? That's where I took that picture from. Okay, can you see a little bit different perspective from the top of it as you would the bottom of it? See, my fear is that we only look at, the, at, the, at the, our incarnation, this story of God becoming flesh from the perspective of the first picture, and you look up at it and you go, I mean, it's fine, but then if you would just get invited into a different perspective to see it for really what it is, for really the glory that is being presented here in the fact that the God of all creation became human, you're still sitting in that meadow. You're not yet at Taft's point with me. Let me invite you. See, I don't know about you, but when I get to Christmas time, I start thinking about like this main question, right? How is it? What kind of king, what kind of God, what kind of creator would willingly become just like me? Actually, he condescended further down than I would like to go. He took on the form of a servant so that he might save some kind of a king would do this? What kind of a, a God would become human? I'll tell you the kind of God, the creator, the God of all the universe. And I, when I think about that question, I also think about scriptures like Genesis 1 and 2, but I also think about Job 38. And you're thinking to yourself, you're going to read the book of Job on Christmas Eve? <laughs> Indeed I am. Not the most joyful uh, book in all the Bible, but here's why I am thinking of it. Job 38 and 39 are like some of the chapters that I read when I have questions about God. When I wonder, what are you up to? When I know that like truly a third of this room is probably watching online because they've got COVID. When I'm wondering, what's up with that timing, Lord? I'd like to have, like I'd love to celebrate this and really hear the saints sing these beautiful choruses that we only get to sing once a year. If you don't know this, my family is, or 
two-thirds of, two-fifths of my family is at home. Last year, we, I didn't get to preach this sermon. I was at home with someone having COVID. And so I'm wondering, what are you up to, Lord? And then I get this beautiful answer from Job 38. I'm going to read a few verses for us because it just puts me in my right place, just like at the meadow in Yosemite, and I get right-sized, so does this scripture do the same for me. Job 38, Job is asking all these questions, and I love this part. I, I didn't put this part up here, but he says, now, Job, gird yourself up like a man, because I'm going to answer you. I don't know about you, but that's a little scary. So I cut that part out, but then I said it. So there you go. Job 38, verse 4 through 11. Where were you? You, you, you think you're so smart, Job, with your questions? Where were you when you laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or, what were its ba- or on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Do you see how big and magnificent Jesus is? Don't don't separate this mighty creator God because through him everything was made. This baby boy that we will gather around and sing to. Oh no, he's just not a baby. He's creator. He's mighty. Our magnificent, mighty, eternal creator God became a frail human. And not just any kind of human, as I said, a dependent, helpless baby whom from the minute he got here was under attack. The minute he got here, he was on the run. And you've got to ask yourself, the Christmas story compels you to ask, why would he do this? Why? You see, our King, our loving God ran to earth so you don't have to run any further and any longer. He stooped to the earth, condescended to ransom us because one day He will raise us. He submitted Himself to attack and ridicule so that you could have peace and acceptance. It's God's great gift exchange. I don't know about you, but this is the time of year where you do like white elephant gift exchanges. Anybody do white elephant gift exchanges this year? Yep. There's always somebody that breaks the rule. Hmm? I know who you are. There's always somebody that breaks the rule. There's always this limit of, uh, of, 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 of the amount that you're supposed to buy. And it's usually, at least in our old neighborhood group, it was $10 because we were cheap, right? So it's 10 bucks. You can only bring something that was $10 and below. There's always somebody that comes in with a re-gift. And it's like an awesome re-gift. It's, it's something that everybody trades for, right? It gets locked in like with the third, first two or three people and it's out. But somebody comes in with this re-gift and they break the rules or they bend the rules and they go, no, 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 it didn't, it didn't cost me anything. But it's like worth $100, right? And you always have this, this person that comes in and breaks the rules. And they do that with the best intentions. They want to bless other people. But they also have to come to grips with this reality. They're going to leave with something that's junk. They are. They're going to leave. This is what used to be passed around in our our groups that we've done over the years. There was an MRE that was passed around for at least seven or eight years. 
Um, the, I mean, an MRE, mmm, delicious. I have no idea what it was. All I know is if I got it, I was trying to get rid of it, but it never usually happened. That was one thing that was always passed around, junk. But also, the other thing that was passed around was a sushi clock. I don't know what you need in your house, but a sushi clock was brought in, and somebody just raised their hand to claim that. No, no, don't do that. Don't claim that. No, no. But nonetheless, that was one of the things that was junk, right? So this person brings in this, this, uh, this really expensive gift, and they know they're going to leave with a sushi clock. They know it. God, in his foreknowledge, in his mercy, came into the earth, into our white elephant gift exchange, and he's the one that brought the gift that everybody else wanted. And he also knew that he was going to leave with junk. He was going to leave with your sin, but he was going to give you something far greater than you ever knew you needed. It's this great gift exchange. It's what Paul says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see the junk he got? Our sin. You see the great gift that he brought to the party? His righteousness. And he knew exactly what he was doing in this moment, on this night. And I hope, I hope that you can see it. I hope you can see what Jesus is revealing about the kind of God that we serve and love. What did Jesus reveal? Well, John 1.14 goes on. He says, And the Word became flesh. That Word, that's Jesus, the Creator of all things, the One who answered Job in Job 38. He became flesh, incarnate, and He dwelt among us. He has no intention of moving on. He dwells now within us by His Spirit. And the Bible continues, and He says, And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, what is it that we see in this incarnation? What is it that we see in this baby boy, in this Creator King becoming one of us? We see glory, we see grace, and we see truth. And I want to ask you, do you see it? Is that what you see when you see this night? When you celebrate this wonderful night? Is that what you see? Grace, glory, and truth wrapped up into one amazing gift. I don't know if you've ever thought about what compelled the wise men to travel from the east. Most people think it was hundreds of miles that they came following this crazy ball of gas in the air that was somehow suspended and leading them to where the child was. I don't know if you've thought about what is it that propelled the shepherds to leave their source of income, their source of security on the mountainside that night, submitting them to what could be predators and danger. What was it that propelled them into the city that night where they knew that they would be rejected because they were stinky? What was it that, that, that caught their attention? Well, it was something significant, something beautiful, something weighty, all wrapped up in the presence of this baby, this word becoming flesh. I want you to hear those words again because I think it's a great understanding of glory. It's something significant, something of infinite beauty, something that is divine. Something that is weighty, 
all good words, right, to describe this thing that we would call glory. In other words, they saw the glory of God in this child, and that glory had weight. It had weight. It meant something. It had weight in their lives. If you think about glory, you have to think about weight. It's what the Old Testament word truly means. It's just this idea of, of something heavy. So when you think about glory, you think about a boss's voice has more weight in your life than a co-worker's voice. A parent's voice ought to have more weight in your life than a spouse's voice. Do you see this idea of weight and glory? You see, that's what Jesus came to reveal. The most glorious, the heaviest voice, the most influential, the top priority, that's the thing that would compel them to go all these miles, to leave their source of income, to go and worship the king because there was glory to be seen. There was a weight there that God was revealing. But glory is not the only facet to what Jesus reveals about our good and gracious God. No, he reveals grace and truth. Now here's where I think this is helpful for us. In a world where really there's no celebrity anymore, there's no real authority structures anymore. God presents glory, weight. In a world that is increasingly harsh, in a world that is increasingly divided over mere opinions, over, we're more intolerant over what we think is right than perhaps at least many decades, perhaps ever in this country. In a world that is increasingly unforgiving, Jesus comes in and reveals the kind of God that dwells amongst sinners. Not just a, a heavy and glorious God, but a gracious one. One who is willing to forgive. One who came to die for sinners. You see, this juxtaposition of grace and glory, we've got to see it. Do you remember the passage that we read about the angels appearing to the shepherds and it says the glory of God shone all around them and what was the response of the shepherds they were terrified so the angels say don't be afraid see the common theme throughout all of the bibles that anybody that sees the glory of God is absolutely terrified if you looked at Isaiah 6 Isaiah sees a holy 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 God in the temple and what does he do he goes woe is me i'm ruined i'm i'm done for i'm going to die right here on the spot if it was just glory we might but God reveals himself to be gracious, gracious and forgiving for you. But not just gracious and glorious, but also the truth. You see, in a world that is increasingly digital, Jesus, make up whatever you want it to be. You can live that life again. You can go do that thing. In a world that's increasingly digital and airbrushed and removed from reality, Jesus shows us the truest reality, Himself. He could have left us wandering about in the darkness without a compass, but instead he reveals the truth about who he is, that he is trustworthy and true. All the promises of the Old Testament are now found in this baby boy that we worship. Could you imagine worshiping a baby? And yet we do. A baby grown to be a man, a man who would never sin and die for you. Most Christmas stories 
end with, okay, again, now go to sleep. We, we like that. But this Christmas story doesn't end that way. This Christmas story compels us to ask a question. And this Christmas Eve, God pushes his way into the end of your heart to ask this question. How weighty is this moment for you? How much does the, the birth of the creator of all things matter in your life? How much does it really carry weight for you? How much does the voice of God, the word, really carry beyond just December 24th, but April 3rd and May the 6th and July 4th and October the 12th and November the 2nd? How much weight does this word have in your life? You see, that's ultimately the question that's being thrust upon us. How much does the word becoming flesh, revealing glory, grace, and truth really mean to you? And you know how we kind of have the test on how much it means? We just look at our behavior. We just look at how much, truly, how much weight this word has in our lives. We honor him. We worship him. See, in just a moment, I'm going to invite some of the kids to come up and play with fire. It's a lot of fun. It's my favorite part of the year. Um, and so truly, if you're like um, five or six, I want you to just think about, all right, I'm going to come and play with fire for a moment. So get your little candlestick ready. Okay, but here's the deal. If you don't want to do this, if your parents say, no, no, my five-year-old cannot play with fire, you hold them back, okay? Do us all a favor. But they are going to come and get fire from me in just a moment. And what a great picture this is. Before we get into all the instructions, what a great picture this is of all of our responsibilities. See, did you see what happened at the end of all of the readings? Did you see what you were invited to, to respond with? You were invited to think about the same things that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men were all invited and compelled to act on. This story doesn't end with go to sleep. It ends with wake up. And it ends with do something. Be obedient to the voice that has been revealed to you. You see, Mary said, let it be known to me according to your word. Joseph did as the angel uh, that the Lord, uh, the angel commanded him. The shepherds went with haste to see Jesus and the wise men opened their treasure and they offered him gifts. So this is a great picture of our responsibility. We take a little bit of light and share it with our neighbor. We take a little bit of light and, and share it with anybody that's in the network that God has sovereignly placed us in. And when we do so amongst the nations who have come. You, we hear this all the time if you're a part of this church. But truly, it's in your hand. It's something that you can grasp. And it's certainly something that you can share.